0: This week's talk is the fifth ray of the mind. And so the the fifth ray is a dual ray. As you know, the mental plane itself is governed um, by an abstract portion and a concrete portion. So there's two two subplanes to the mental plane, or two major subplanes, and there's seven subplanes altogether. Three subplanes to the abstract mind and four to the concreted mind. And so similar with this ray line, it has to deal with these seven, this dual division of mind itself. And it's quite important to to keep in mind. <laughs> One relates to samsara direct and all that to do a phenomenality and the other relates to the awakened or enlightened mind. So with twenty two statements it's a little bit more than the usual fourteen of last week, for instance, where there was seven down and seven up. Doesn't quite work that way, does it, with twenty two? The maths doesn't work out. However, it needs twenty two for a certain reason. The first seven statements are along that normal paradigm of seven down. So seven raised statements down from the kingdom of God or from Shambhala, from the higher domains. As you all have to also understand that we're talking about the fires of mind and the methodology of dissemination of the fires of mind. When we're looking at mind, as I said, we had the two aspects of the fifth plane of perception the abstract and the concrete, but we can also look in terms of the fact that we've got cosmic mind that governs all phenomena in cosmos or manifestation or the appearance of form and that our mental plane is considered cosmic dense physical. It stands to the logi that inhabit cosmic space that are our solar logi, planetary logi, etc., in the same way as dense physical substance is to us. They walk on it. They can't go below it. You're below their threshold of consciousness, or your minds are. Whatever humanity thinks, and the accumulated swirls of human thoughts is something like a, a river, a concrete river. That they can go splashing in it if they wish if you can think of that type of thought we'll go with the, the first sub-ray of the seven-ray statements from above down DK gives you, I think this is page 77 of Isha Psychology volume 1 as the revealer of truth the truth here relates to the organization of cosmos, in Buddhism, the Kaya. it is the Dharma, the truth that is the pure, unadulterated Dharma, the fount of the law. And it reveals this truth. It is the mind that reveals. If you're on this particular subplane, you can project into, Kranas, into cosmic space to see all the diversity of the... Aspects of cosmos or the entities that reside within the ocean of cosmic mind. And that's what's revealed. We can't really say much more than that until you read on the Dharmakaya itself in Buddhism and my books specifically. And understand this level. It's the highest level of Dharmakaya. Then the second sub-ray of this particular ray of mind is the Great Connector. The Great Connector is the divine activity of the abstract mind that mathematically links all separative units into a oneness. So if you think that the nature of the second ray as it works through the ray of mind, as you come down from cosmic planes, it integrates... Everything that is appearing separately into a oneness. So all of the diversity of forms is seen as one within the mind of a logos. And that's the second ray nature of mind. It sees it all as a unity. And you can do so with your minds, seeing all of the diversity of nature and our planet and, you know, and the solar system and the stars and the galaxies all as a singular functioning unity, entity. And so this is the great connector. It is the, in many ways the activity aspect of the second ray. The third statement he gives is the divine intermediary. And here we are going downwards to the mountain of God. Technically we've gone to the higher mental plane to the domain of the abstract mind. It's the plane of perception where forms, where cosmos comes into existence. It's the feminine principle, the divine intermediary. It's the mother that gives birth to the child. It's the higher mental or atmic. It's the place of the expression of karma where forms come into being, the Atmic plane. The Atmic itself has got this dual system of um, three and four, but in the Atmic it's four and three, whereas in the mental plane it's three and four, and so they reflect each other via buddhi. I was looking at this mountain of God. The numbers add up to 120, which is Capricorn, which is the 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 mount of the mind, and so all that comes into expression. At the beginning of the expression of karma, the fourth sub-ray on, on the plane of descent, which you can see relates to the fourth plane of perception, buddhi, or the four ethers, is called the crystallizer of form. This crystallizer of form is that which comes through the chakra system, the ethers, the buddhic plane. It produces the mandala of being, non-being. When you get to the mental plane itself then we get to the threefold thinker. It's the threefold thinker because on this realm you're looking downwards into the mental plane, astral plane, physical plane and that's a triune so you're thinking in terms of the expression of the creative impulse through these three planes perception. And what I'm talking about here as you can see is the process of creation. The process of, of the building of forms, of the building of substance, of the building of a being, a body such as what you are now inhabiting. The mind does this. All is mind. And all that you see exists within mind and is the product of mind. It doesn't go outside of mind. So this whole process of creation is the with the fires of mind and the crystallizing of form. So we start with the reveal of truth you, in the Dharmakaya aspect. You connect all the aspects of the mandala that you're to build with the second point. Um, you then become the divine intermediary. You activate it, deactivate activate the karma thereof. You then start the process of descent of the abstracted geometric form through the buddhic plane or the fourth subray of the mind and then eventually um, it produces the threefold thinker, the externalisation of mind onto the physical plane the cosmic physical which is our mental. The sixth point of descent is called DK calls it the cloud upon the mountaintop Here you can see the relationship to the concept of water. There's the mountaintop. It's the mountain of materiality. And the cloud is full of moisture. It's watery. It's a a fog of mental, emotional realizations that you must pass through or get beyond, clear the way through, if you're going to see the light of the sun, of the the high domains. And um, it is that which reveals the Christ principle via activity of mind through the watery substance of the cloud, or kama So that which is revealed on this mountain of mind is the Christ principle. And sometimes um, what the decayers call it the rain cloud of knowable things, yes. The rain cloud. So there's this either you've got the, the cloud of substance that's astral, that being such as you are trying to penetrate through as you go through the path of initiation or on a higher level of it, it's actually a cloud of knowable things that the initiate can penetrate to learn all about the verities of cosmos Hmm. so there's these two different forms of this sixth subplane the cloud upon the mountaintop and then finally, on this, the seventh sub-ray aspect of this, we have the precipitator of the cross. So the cross is the mandala of the form with all the directions of space implied in it. So the seventh ray, through its magical invocation or magical endeavour, and ritual endeavour, the cycles of time, actually precipitates the form, produces the expression of materiality that we're all so familiar with. But you understand, these, this materiality is really the materiality of the mind. You really don't descend any further than the mind. It's interesting for all of you sitting in your physical bodies that you identify with these forms as if these forms are real. But what is it that is the real within the form? See the forms are changing all the time. It's appropriated from the devic substance. It's made out of, you know, in the Bible, the atom of clay. <laughs> it's uh, made out of the dust of the earth. It's not the real you. You don't descend any further than the mind. It's your mind that's incarnated into this, or a ray of the soul, and the ray of the soul, which is exists on the mental plane, utilizes this form for the gathering of data, for the transmutation of substance, for the invigorating of the diva kingdom that's incarnated as this form. It's an alchemical process. You are the thinker. The body is not you. But everyone seems to think that that's what you are. It don't descend any lower than the domain of the mind. Everything is mind. And within the domain of mind, all of these transformations of consciousness that transform the sense perceptive experiences in consciousness happen. And the emotions themselves, as I pointed before, is not really you but it's your animal nature as you go into the higher path, the path of enlightenment, the path of awakening of the mind that really is you, you must get rid of So you battle and battle and battle and battle to overcome those emotions, mental emotions, karma karmamanis, the impurities, imperil. That's not you. That's what you identify with and interrelate with others with but it's not you. It must go, must be transformed. Until what is left is just pure luminescence that is mind, the awakened mind, the enlightened one. Does that give you a good grasp of your own reality? Of what you're actually doing as you're walking around and talking and thinking? So, the cloud upon the mountain top, the precipitator of the cross. And in my explanation of this, in my little notes, the first one, I have a circle of a line going down, which is the Antichrana from cosmos to the earth. In the second one, I have a triad. Third one, I have the cross, the circle of the cross going across it. That third one is the feminine principle, which is the the great mother. The first one is the masculine principle. And the second one, the triangle, is the sun, that which is born as a consequence of the union between the two. And by the time you get to the seventh, the first and the the third have uh, interrelated to produce the cross within the circle, the symbol of the earth. The fourth one is the spiral within the circle, which is the evolution of consciousness, uh, that which um, crystallizes form, and then the fifth one, the threefold thinker, is the triangle pointing down, right? Because it's thinking in terms of material incarnation, in samsara the transitory world, the transitory universe. When you add the fifth one to the third one, then you get the seal of Solomon, the interrelated crosses. And so the mother, by the time you get to the fifth point, has given birth. The birth of mind, that's what it's all about. And the sixth one, the crowd upon the mountaintop, is really the form of the Tau cross. The towel cross is a T within a circle. And what is this cloud upon the mountaintop? Uh, another way of looking at that, it relates to the Illumarion um, root base and the formation of the kingdom of souls. So a form, a platform exists on the mountain top that allows the formation of the human soul. Now the formation of the human soul we call individualization and the subsequent incarnation process that happens as a consequence. And the incarnation process then happens in the fixed cross aspect of the earth. And so you get this whole descent, um, downward descent of um, the five fingers of God, if you wish, um, to the um, cloud on the mountain top, and that's where the fifth finger or the earthy finger points, and there is formed within that cloud your souls, everyone's souls, Assemble the Sambogakea flower. So all of that is veiled within these first seven statements. And we could go into the numbers and um, spend more time explaining some more of the intricacies of all of this. For instance, the precipitate of the cross. On the number seven, you've got the, um, the number 84, the precipitator, which is karma, Libra. The wheel turns and turns and turns and turns psychically put his seventh thumb point to produce the karma of all that is. And as the wheel turns, therefore, the activities on the cross get precipitated, your karma. And the cross is the fixed cross of the heavens in this particular case that the Christ child is crucified upon as It's undergoing the experiences of transmutation of substance. But the actual movement of the cross is the mutable cross. It's whirling around, so you get the fixed and immutable making the eight-pointed cross of direction. Therefore, guess what? The next eight statements have got to do with the eight-folded wheel of direction, of direction in space. These directions in space are actually quite important and most of you should know this wheel off by heart. If you read my books you'll find it explained again and again and again. I put virtually everything upon it and um, DK has given it in his books um, because they are literally the heart of our teachings. The eightfold cross of direction, a diaphragm centre, that Wakens or expands to become a heart center. Well, the purpose is to anchor mind, but what you have to understand is that the, the entire movement of this cross of direction in cosmic space the northern direction is upwards to the kingdom of God, the southern direction is downwards to the little ones. It means form space. The eastern direction is inwards to the heart of life. The western direction is outward to the field of service that is humanity. These are the four points of the fixed cross. The intermediate positions or the east, is unity with your brethren. The southeast direction is expression and interactivity. The southwest direction is understanding after expression and you've involved yourself in lots of material activity eventually you get an understanding of it all and you're starting to turn upwards again and then the northwest is goodwill emanatory goodwill so these are the eight arms of the cross normally when I'm writing about these and when I'm normally placing things on the cross for instance the Noble Eightfold Path they fit on the cross quite well. Um, but I'd normally start with unity. And then i go down from that, um, from unity to to the heart uh, inwards and then expression downwards and upwards. And that's the normal way of looking. And sometimes when you're actually placing a statement or a series of eight points upon this cross, you actually have to look whether it's going left or right, and whether it starts at unity or at goodwill, or somewhere else. But generally it starts at unity. That's the normal way. It's like in the 12 signs of the zodiac, you're starting with Aries normally. But it doesn't have to start with Aries. (laughs) But this was interesting. When you're actually sort of finding one of these eight statements, and they're all over the religious scriptures of the world, then what the best thing to do is start off with something that you know fits to the northern direction because it's upwards to the kingdom of God or something that's obvious. And then once you've got that obvious thing, you've just got to find one more that's obvious. Put those two in and then generally they then follow in sequence very well. That's always, I've never failed. So in this particular case here, DK's sixth statement of the the following eight, which is door into the mind of God, is upwards, isn't it? It's upwards, so it's a door into the mind of God, so it's a northern direction. Once you get that, then you can sort of find one other thing, for instance, the rose of God, which is an inwards direction and everything else then follows. In this particular case, the eighth statement, or the first of the eight, starts with the point of the cross called understanding. Amazing. Understanding. It's beautiful. Because we're dealing with the mind the mind automatically understands. It's what its purpose is. This is the south-west direction. And his phrase for understanding is called the dividing sword. discriminating mind. It's got the, the, the blades and then it's the central part that holds it all together. So it's the right and the left hand nadi and they, it discriminates. It cuts through. What is it, the Manjushri sword of discriminating right views and so forth, yes? So the dividing sword produces understanding. You've got to cut through the dross, the rubbish, the negative aspects of your thought forms, of your mind, of what you've experienced. Throw that rubbish away and leave only the truth, only the gems, only the beautiful things. This is understanding, the use of the mind to discriminate right from wrong and thus to come to meaningful conclusions. It divides aspects of the desire mind. In other words, it cuts the desire portion of the desire mind and throws the desire portion away and leaves mind and adds to that mind love. That's what it's supposed to do. Sometimes it just leaves mind. <laughs> Critical mind, not very good. Or desirous mind, you know. So you can understand that this particular first sub-ray aspect of these next eight statements works via the principle of understanding... Right in the heart of samsara. This southwest position is samsara. It's where you come to some sort of resolution through having experienced samsara. The southeast position is incarnation into samsara, so you're expressing yourself, um, whatever your new venture is. But by the time you get to the southwest position, you've come to the end of it all, for good or for bad. So that's it, the dividing sword, and it's understanding you um, divide facts from opinions. Lots of opinions but what are the facts? (laughs) Cut through the opinions and get to the truth at the heart of the matter. Everything follows and I think this counterclockwise positioning so the second point of his statements is downwards into the world of the little ones into the material domain so so to speak into the nitty gritty of samsara. Here his statement is the winnower of the chaff. The chaff is the sum of the images of samsara obtained by means of the five sense consciousnesses. And so this particular um, going downwards from understanding to really getting to the nitty-gritty of what samsara is all about, the chaff. And you... Sift it all out and you just take a few of those beautiful golden nuggets out of it all. That is good for consumption of the mind. All the rest can blow away in the wind or go back into the earth to feed the the plant things. Everything is in line like this. You know, he doesn't mess anything up. So the window of the chaff, pretty easy. The activity of your mind and the way it works with the desired principle by the time you get to the field of expression, which is the southeast direction, we're going in the reversed wheel, then he gives us the phrase, the fifth great judge. So what is the fifth great judge? After you've winded away the chaff, you've used your dividing sword to cut mental images, and then the chaff is all the things to do with the rest of samsara, your emotions and those things that are minor, minor issues to do of your mind. Hmm. Then, the fifth great judge. What is the fifth great judge? The mind judges all the time, doesn't it? It makes value judges. I want this, I don't want that, I like this, uh, I don't like that. I'm going to choose to do this and this in my life. Gee, I'm worried about that. It's um, fearful of this. Uh, it, It does all sorts of value judgments. Every time you take a step on in your life, Every step you take is a value judgment. Right? Nowadays you don't have to worry about leeches jumping on you or deadly things coming out of the grass, uh, which makes it a bit harder. You've got nice footpaths for you to walk on, but in some places it's not so easy. There's lots of dirt and whatever. So value judgments, right? Every step you take in life, your mind is judging. So what's the fifth great judge? It relates to the fifth subplane of the mind every subplane of the mind is a judge the mind has got seven subplanes and you're going from the lowest to the highest the fifth subplane of the mind brings you to the (coughs) abstract mind to the enlightened mind to the the universe storehouse of mind and this is the expression we're going upwards to enlightenment See upwards towards the heart this is the reverse wheel you started off with understanding and you're going towards, inwards to the heart of life. Mm. And so expression. You express going inwards to the heart of life by throwing away the char. First of all, you've used the sword to do all the major battles and then there's minor little personality traits and pettinesses that you've got to throw away and get rid of and then you do the judge. You judge the value of your life. Your mind sort of judges the big, big, big issues if you want. Um, this is the field of service work. This is the way I'm going. All this other stuff, this karmic stuff, is a hindrance. I'm going to leave that behind, go that ways, and you're going to the heart, upwards. So that which awakens the expression of the abstract mind, the fifth subplane of mind, it comes as a consequence of treading the initiation path. A great judge, because the mind, with a capital M, is the arbiter of choosing right from wrong, a series of making right decisions along the path of overcoming some uh, some scaras, is what produces initiation into the mysteries of being non-being. The mind is also the fifth plane, king of mind, exemplified or. Im- implicates cosmic mind of Logos. So on this particular plane of perception as you're going upwards to the heart you start to reflect on your little domain the king of mind which is the mind of the cosmic Logos that created all of this and you're going back to the creation to that which was the beginning of it all and to emulate that mind within your mind. The mind is being freed from samsara, freed to reflect upon cosmos, and you begin to judge this cosmic implications, symbolic implications that enter into consciousness. Yes, fifth great judge. So this is where I want you all to be, on this level, to get the chaff. Well, get rid of it. Use your mind to rightly discriminate and then judge. Judge the all around you. There's these bodies worthy of being in and putting so much effort and energy other than sustaining it so you can do your service work, so you can go to the heart. So the fourth statement he gives is the direction inwards to the heart of life. So once you've done the third subplane of the fifth of the mental plane. Now you go to the second sub-plane of the mental plane. So you can see we've been travelling through the planes of mind. We've never really descended further than the mind and we're going back up again through the planes of mind via the cross. The cross is moving all the time. Each one of these arms of the cross implicates an incarnation where you're experiencing the types of processes involved or sub-incarnations in this particular life. So, you get to the rose of God. What is the rose of God? The soul, as you go inwards to the heart of life, you go from the third subplane of the mind to the second subplane of the mind, which is the domain of the soul, the Sambhogakea flower, which the Buddhists call Tathagatagaba, the Buddha germ. So, you're aspiring to be soul united. The rose of God, the flower of God. So the rose of God, inwards, the solo Sambhogakea flower, as I call it, exists in the higher mental plane and it is a sun of mind residing in a sea of mind. And it's a floral shape, something like a rose, if you look at the petals unfolding within, without. So we've now gone to the eastern direction, inwards to the heart of life right to your own souls and you become soul conscious, soul infused. Your mind and the mind of your soul are one. It is your mind. This is a certain initiation, isn't it? We're talking about no differentiation. So what you regard as your form is no longer these bodies, it is this rose, this flower. Heavenly flowers is what you are to be plucked by God. So we go upwards to the fifth statement that D.K. gives of these eight and he simply calls it the Heavenly One. And this particular direction now is unity. It's the unification of all into one. I'm not going to ask you the question of what you think the Heavenly One is. I'll simply tell you it's hierarchy. You unite the next step on from being integrated with your soul, which is group consciousness, is that you become integrated with hierarchy. The mind, the hierarchical mind, capital N. They all enlighten the minds. And so you stand within the abstract mind or pure mind that is hierarchy itself. Unity. So hierarchy is a collective mind, the unified wisdom, it's the awakening of the all-seeing eye within you. Enlightenment. It is beyond soul, the next step onwards. But as a soul in itself, and all of hierarchy is also seen with the eye of a logos as a flower, as your soul is, simply another flower unfolding in time and space. Flower within flower, it's all... The leaves of Moya's garden when he sort of tends his little garden. What do you think he's cleaning and and, and being so wrapped over? His flowers and all his flowers are all the human souls that he's lovingly tending, minding, looking after, and they're roses. Yes. So there you are. And the hierarchy is another such rose and a higher, far more expanded vista. So they're energy fields, they form petals. Now, the sixth statement that DK gives here, after the heavenly one, is quite simple. It's the northern direction. It's the door into the mind of God, which I said I started off with because that was the obvious one. And then you should by now know what the door to the mind of God is. It's the door to Shambhala. So you go from soul, so we see the statements from abstract mind to soul, from soul to hierarchy, from hierarchy to Shambhala, which is Dharmakaya, the Dharmakaic vision. So this is a mode of travel to cosmic mind, Shambhala, the Dharmakaya, and of course to cosmic logos, whatever the mind of God is, to you or to me or to anyone else, uh, that's what you are aspiring up to in this happens at about the fifth initiation. So we're travelling from the third initiation at the soul level to the heavenly one, which is about the fourth initiation, to Dharmakea or the mind of God, which is the fifth initiation, when you can begin to understand it properly. The seventh statement he gives is called the initiating energy. And we're now turning down again from the mind of God and we're at the point that's called goodwill. It's sort of, it's an emanatory goodwill. It's done the, the mantra of accomplishment, of revelation, of joy, of bliss. You've achieved it and now you have to spread the goodwill, the message, the revelation of what you are outwards to a vast sea of beings, either enlightened or non-enlightened. And so... This is the initiating energy. You don't stand at that um, doorway. So you can also see that this doorway to the mind of God, the door is really four square, and that four square relates to the four ephric subplanes or cosmic ethric subplanes. That's the door. And so you go through that door from the mental plane into the mind of God. The initiating energy, which is the seventh statement, the goodwill is that which initiates new ventures. I've got a little sort of sign here called Sagittarius the Archer. He fires the arrows of aspiration, ambition and whatever onwards to the new ventures. On all levels of expression, building the mandalas of the new. So now you manifest the qualities of a creative logos. Remember those seven statements we started off with? You become those seven statements. You can do that with your divine will. So you initiate new ventures as a Logos, as a deity, as a master of wisdom, as an enlightened being. Or just as an average thinker, if you wish, because there's level after level after level of intelligence. Once you've gained your revelation, then you can write about it. Do the book, broadcast the information, give it out to the masses because you've stood on the mountain of God at the level that you're at and received revelations that you know will inspire all of them. This is this seventh statement. And then we finally get to the eighth statement, the ruler of the third heaven. And that is the the western direction of outwards to the field of service. So I'm going to ask you, what on earth is the third heaven? And it comes to the field of service. If you think of the seven subplanes of the mental plane as seven heavenly realms, they're the true heaven. Um, The astral plane is heaven and hell, if you want, but the true heaven is the mental. So the third heaven is really the third subplane of the mental of the higher mental, or going down. And then you're the absolute ruler or master of the abstract mind. That's what it's really saying. So the field of service by way of development of abstract mind. And so you're the master now of the abstract mind. You're sitting at the nexus between sunyata and samsara. And there you sit, fully enlightened being, the ruler of mind, and all the processes of mind. And from that position, you never move, as you do your service work, to humanity, educating them, loving them. (coughs) Hmm? So that's what all of you are aspiring to do, to become rulers of the third heaven. So once we've gone to this particular planar perception, which is this nexus between shunyata and samsara, you don't move from there, and the next seven statements relate to being an enlightened being sitting there. So when you saw the 22 statements, because the thing that's the real art of this whole analysis is something that's almost, well I feel... Beyond our ability to do, did you immediately know it was seven eight seven? No, I, I actually had a look at twenty-two. There was many different sort of um, things I had to do. For instance, the number twenty-two normally relates to the twelve zodiac signs plus the ten planetary energies, and that makes the twenty-two, which is the womb of space and time. Now, the, the mind creates all of that. So these um, twenty-two statements also have a relationship to those twelve plus ten. But I, um, this was, um, would have been quite abstract, and I didn't want to go into this type of very, very high, subtle abstractness of it all. So then I said, OK, it therefore relates to something else, and then, then I knew that it would be 7-7. Seven, seven. Well, that leaves 8. And then the 8 obviously brings us to the cross. Where does the cross fit? And I just looked at the first 7 and I said, well, that's downwards. So I've got this in mm. like a flask, so you went down and then the base of the flask is mm. the eight and then you go up, you know what I mean? So it's sort of right. like that sense of the... Yeah, yeah, so the, 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 the eight is the centre in a sense, but <laughs> okay, so that's the wheel, And so we're not really moving from the wheel, we're not moving from the mind in reality. You're just moving up and down aspects of the planes of the, sub of the mind. So now you're going up again and there's seven statements, where will you be stuck? We're not going up again, as I said, we stay at the nexus between shunyata and samsara. You stay in the enlightened mind and all these next seven statements are attributes of the enlightened mind. It's not necessarily going up, it's just simply those attributes, the seven sub-attributes or sub-ray attributes of the enlightened mind. So the seventh-ray aspect of these seven remaining statements, which is the next one, so it goes from seven to one. I'll read these seven statements out quickly for you so you understand them. The guardian of the door the dispenser of knowledge, the angel of the flaming sword the keeper of the secret, the beloved of the logos the brother from Sirius and the master of the hierophants. So these are the seven seven enlightened statements of the enlightened mind. They sound a little bit mm-hmm. like the um, seven ray paths, cosmic paths. Yes, very much so, um, because this is where it all goes. When we're talking about these eight directions, I said this is the cross of the direction in time and space. It's the cross of direction of the cosmic paths. And the mind governs all that motion in cosmos. Cosmic mind, enlightened You do it with mind. It's the clear light of mind, as the Buddhists call it. This is their highest um, revelation in in their tantras. It's radiance, it's illumination, it's clear light of mind. It's mind of a capital N. They're trying to explain the nature of Dharmakaya as it impacts or works via mind. Okay, so the seventh statement, or the seventh ray statement, to do with this nature of the enlightened mind is the guardian of the door. Now, I told you before the door is four square always, and we mentioned before that's cosmic ephraic space. So you're the guardian of what comes through that door. The door is buddhi or shunyata, the void, and that's just simply a mirror between abstract space, the dharmakaya, and Manifest space, the samsara, and you guard the door as to what comes through. You guard the door, whether it's the door to samsara or the door to cosmos. And this is the seventh ray. It manifests in a ritualistic, a cyclic way, manifesting one way or the other because you're at the nexus between sunyata or samsara. You guard the door both ways. So the door to the higher way of cosmos, the four cosmic ethers, and thus to the cosmic astral plane, um, by way of passing initiation testings, it's the door to the chakra system of the logos, the planetary logos of which you're part of, and later on the cosmic logos. So this door is what you guard. And also with regards to this concept of guarding, as all of you know, when you start to do your meditations, this is the door to the higher, your higher self, the higher revelations, in comes influx of energies and then you have to withstand the impact of those energies. So this guardian of the door actually has to meter the nature of the intensity of the energy that's coming through so it doesn't produce destructive impact upon the denizens of samsara. And it also guards the door on the opposite side so that what's coming from samsara is not destructive to the nature of the enlightened mind. So you can see the seventh ray function, it's a ritualistic, and this generally necessitates being a temple hereafter. Seventh ray. 7th ray aspect of the mind, of the enlightened mind. The 6th ray aspect of the enlightened mind is the dispenser of knowledge. And most of you can see here why this relates to the 6th ray. Because you give knowledge to whom? Generally people that are being busily involved in solar plexus activity in emotionality of one form or the other and you normally have to dispense the cosmic astral waters into the systemic waters in such a way that it actually um, produces an aspiration of love amongst those that you are working to dispense it to. And of course, when it comes to a higher level, the master, they also dispense this knowledge to the kingdom of souls and the souls themselves are uh, worthy we supplicants of, of the energies that are coming through the open door of hierarchy? Yeah, it produces, it works with joy. It's a, it's a joyous effervescence of the knowledge of love to all sentient beings. It's the way of the Bodhisattva. So, then the fifth sub ray of this ray of enlightened being, we've to mine is the angel with the flaming sword, it's the fifth. And who is the angel with the flaming sword? What? And Michael, yes, any of the archangels actually mm-hmm. Michael, Samuel, Raphael, Uriel, Galadiel, Revendiel, and so forth. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, yes, thank you, Gabriel, Gabriel yes, so. This angel of the flaming sword because it's the fifth sub-ray, means that you're working with the diva kingdom. The diva and the human are manifesting a unity. The unity of the masculine and the feminine that's non-dual. A <coughs> non-dual unity of that is mind. Non-dual consciousness. So the diva... Uh, the feminine Deva and the human are integrated as one, and you manifest the angel of the flaming sword. You are the temple herophant. the Deva kingdom produced the attainment of the fourth initiation by way of masters of mind or the mastery of mind in brackets body the 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 mind of enlightenment. So you stand at the nexus between chunyata and samsara. And the sword of illumination is from the soul. So the angel of the flaming sword can also be the soul, for those that are still soul-infused, sending light via the suttatma into the mind of the disciple. And in this case, it's the soul angel. Or it can be the high angel if you've taken the fourth initiation or beyond. So it's the flame of mind that produces initiation. It zaps away, or the foot forms and sends them packing miles away. So this is what this um, fifth subray of the fifth ray does as far as the enlightened mind goes. It dispels the substance of mind that is negative darkened, not be part of your, domain. good work isn't it, this is where all you zappers come in now the 4th subray, or the fourth statement both, he calls the keeper of the secret and what is the secret here well we can call it the mysteries of the kingdom of God the secret of buddhi the keeper of the secret, of the way to gain in liberation, evolution, perfection, the mysteries of being, non-being, all the mysteries of cosmic space. You keep the secret because most of these beings here have no conception of any of that. It's beyond their domain, beyond their thought processes. So you keep it and you give it only out to those who the developed the heart to receive it so they will not abuse this information. As Jesus said, don't give your pills before swine lest they trample on the foot. So the secrets are veiled, ear whispered, only to be given to the worthy. And we spend a long time finding those very few worthy because the door that leads to liberation is very, very small and narrow and broad is the gate that leads to samsara and death and hell and all those states. The secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of God is another way of saying it. <laughs> but yes, the secrets of Buddha because you're standing at that door. The fifth statement, and it relates to the third sub-ray of the Enlightenment process or the Enlightened One that's standing at this nexus, is called the Beloved of the Logos. This is sort of like a third-ray statement. The third-ray nature is the beloved of the Logos. The Logos loves the third ray, or beings that embody the third ray quality. Why is this? Logos means word, the embodied word. Technically the embodiment which is the second ray, the second ray being. It's the embodiment or the second ray, the activity of mathematical exactitude allows the appearance of manifest space the energization of the mandala. The second ray uses the fifth ray as a vehicle for creative expression. And as a matter of fact, um, we'll see that the second ray is love-wisdom. And so the beloved part is the wisdom aspect of the love. Without the mind, there is no wisdom. The sixth statement, and therefore the second sub-ray of this particular... Uh, statement of enlightened mind, uh, he gives the brother from Sirius. So one is the beloved, and the next, this one here is now the brother from Sirius. Now, all of you know that Sirius is a second ray star from which the second ray that we on this earth bow to and sustains us comes from the energy of love. The other thing to note concerning <laughs> Sirius, it means the dog star there's a certain type of mind associated with Sirius. It's not just pure love. All the Anubi that you're zapping in it, that love you so much with their minds, they are all Syrian. they the average humanity of that particular constellation. That's the reason why they're such a problem for us, because our Earth humanity is a Syrian disciple, as is hierarchy itself. The hierarchy is the disciple of the Assyrian lord. So, Anubai, uh, the nemesis, the main nemesis that you all fear the most. I know some of you don't like the black ones as well, but the Anubai are worse. (laughs) So, it's the dog star, and therefore what we're looking at here is the use of the heart's mind. This is basically the ability to think with the heart The heart's got the seven pure rays, but it's also got the five rays of mind, five petals. And it's these five petals of of the heart that can get aberrant with the qualities of mind that you have to watch out for. You're talking about the enlightened mind, but the enlightened mind is always dealing with the five pranas coming through to influence the non-enlightened minds of all others and this is why we're talking about Anubai because they work of any of those five pranas to ab- aberrate, pervert etc which all of you know quite well so you've got to deal with them you've got to uh, deal with the effects of the Anubai the effects of this cosmic mind and aberrations of mind and all the subtleties of it within those that you're trying to help and so it's a, it's a concern at all times so it also concerns the methodology of ensouling all attributes of mind with love. All kingdoms of nature must be infused with love. Hence the foundation of love wisdom, the Dioré. Um The building of all soul forms, lotuses and cosmos, uses this particular quality of mind. So you can see that if you're going to influence the souls of, say, humanity, you use this particular sub-ray energy. This one or the the um, beloved of the Logos. Now, the highest of all these qualities, the seventh statement, is the master of the Hierophants. The 1st subray. So this is the highest quality. And um, this really refers to the evolution of a master of wisdom. The making of A master. And so a hierophant technically is a fourth degree initiate. They are the true temple initiates. They have the initiation level to be able to stand at the mirror between cosmic space, cosmic mind, cosmic love and form space. They are the true ones that sit at that nexus between shunyata and samsara. They have the fluidity of mind to receive energies via buddhi. So the Hierophant technically is always the fourth degree initiate, the guardian of the door. So the master of the Hierophants is the one that's gone beyond that, the fifth degree or higher initiate. He brings into, or she brings into into expression, cosmic mind. Sometimes given the term mahat. And so it's aligned with the mind of the cosmic logos, or the solar logos, or the planetary logos, Shambhala, and the methodology of bringing Sambala into the form via the activity of the Herophant, which we saw was the seventh subray aspect of all of this, or the first of these statements. So we linked the seventh and the first together. Now, this particular master of the Herophants relates to the head centre, the one before the brother from Sirius is the expression of the awakening of the heart center. The blubber of the Logos is the expression of the awakening of the throat center. The Keeper of the Secret is the expression of the awakening of the Arjuna center. The Angel of the Flaming Sword is the expression of the control of the SP and all of the cities that come through that. You need the Flaming Sword to burn up all those waters. Most of you know about waters and burning them up, burning them up, burning them up, and you use the sword to do so. And then the dispenser of knowledge is really the um, awakening of the sacral center itself. The sacral is the lower correspondence of the throat. And so you bring throat center right to the sacral center to feed people's desire, aspiration, and the higher correspondence of sexuality, which concerns knowledge of the diva kingdom and the fusion of the angelic and human into unity. So... The sacral gives you the ability to project power onto the physical plane. and In other words, the knowledge that you've come to bring. And then the guardian of the door is the base of the spine centre in its awakening. And this is the door to all power, the door of the rising or liberation of kundalini fire. And so you guard that. And so here we've got the steps of the awakening of all the chakras through these seven statements. Don't you love DK? You can imagine all of the people that are reading all of his books, how little they actually understand. Because people live read so shallowly. They want to get on to the next word, the next phrase, the next paragraph. They want to get on to the next chapter. And they skip. Ninety-nine percent of what's actually written there. <laughs> From above down, did you say the atomic plane was four plus three going down? Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Is that right. That's right. And then the physical plane reflects that too, so it's four plus three. So you get. Um, you see the mental plane is 3-4, the physical plane is 4-3, the oh. atmic plane is similarly 4-3. And therefore the physical plane is the reflection of the atmic and the, the atmic plane is the lord of karma. That's where karma emanates and controls the physical plane. And all of the mental plane is the mediator between one to the other. Yeah, I don't expect people to to know to be able to do this. I mean, they have to read my books and the K's books in order to learn the methodology, and it takes time, and especially to learn the the numerology associated with his statements. And also there's a certain um, astrological knowledge you need. This particular set of books I'm doing, this um, treatise on mine, it really gives you the methodology here and then the next one to do with the numbers. You need astrology, you need the numerology and you need the methodology that I like, give in my books as I interpret yeah. the numbers. And yeah. So those of you that actually have time to read and study, because we need a successor to, to this, to me, in terms of the interpreter of numbers. It's a task because there's a massive amount of esotericism associated. Okay.